0: The Lord's Prayer, it all starts with the disciples asking, Jesus, teach us to pray. They want to connect with God the way Jesus has been connecting with God. And the parable that's, that's on our, our scripture reading for today about the shrewd steward, that's a tough one to, uh, sometimes preach because he's not just shrewd, he's, he's crooked. He's stealing. It's like, how could Jesus say this is somebody that we need to model after? And it's not our main text for today, but one of the things I just want to pull from that is we realize this man is using his resources to connect with people. So I'm going to be kicked out of my position and I'm going to use what I have now to connect with other people. And I'm going to show you a couple of photographs they're going to come up on the screen here. I wish I had had these when when we first started this series, but the photographer, Eric Pickerson, he just put these up online this week. And I'm going to show you some for the next few weeks as we can finish this series. What he's done is he's taken situations where people would normally have their phone or their tablet, and then he's taken out the, the tablet and left them in the same position that they were in before. Um, so you here, see here, guys barbecuing, but they're looking down at their hands empty. There should be one or two more. There's a family. I'm not sure what they're doing. Looks like they're smoking something, but it's like the, uh, the wife is over off to the side looking at her hand. I think there's one more family at the dinner table and mom's looking down and everybody's kind of looking at her. What's going on? And I realized something. If we have lost our ability to connect with people, how in the world are we supposed to connect with God? God doesn't carry around an iPhone. He's not on FaceTime. We can meet him face to face. So we're studying prayer. And it's actually praying that provides us with these answers. How do we connect with God? Our goal is not to learn the attributes of the prayers of Jesus, but to pray like Jesus, to actually connect with God. And what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, we're getting to the point of what do we pray for? We prayed for God's kingdom to come, and we looked at that last week. And today, our scripture text is Matthew 6.11, the second part. If you want to have that in your Bibles, it's Matthew 6.11. It's a very short phrase. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. One of the things that just this simple phrase tells us, is. Daily, God cares for physical needs. Every day, God cares for physical needs. Now, one of the things I want to point out with this, and it's going to carry through, through the rest of the series, and it's actually started earlier, is that it's plural. Give us. It's not just give me. It started at the beginning with, by saying our father. He said that it was going to be a plural thing. It's not my father. So this is, this is a corporate prayer. This is praying not just for my own physical needs. It's praying for the needs of my community, my society. Maybe not even my society, other people's. It can mean praying for the homeless. For us in this church, it can be praying for the work of Tubman. It can be praying for the work of Christian community cover and for first care, pregnancy center. These are all places that meet physical needs. Our, you know, give us our daily bread, personal, local, national, global, our. And when Jesus mentions daily bread, his disciples would immediately probably understand this idea. They would remember the manna given to their ancestors in the desert after they left Egypt during the Exodus. I'll read this, and this will be up on the screen. Exodus 16, 12 through 21, tells us about the manna when it came. Says God says, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who had gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who had gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So as the people are... They've left Egypt, but they haven't gone to the Promised Land yet, and there's not a lot of food in the desert, but there's a lot of people. God provides them food every day. Every day they would get up in the morning, and there would be this manna. We don't know what it is. They didn't even know what it was. Manna literally means, what is it? Well, that's what it is. It's bread from heaven. What is it? (laughs) And But every day they would get their food, the exact amount they needed to eat. Except for the day before the Sabbath, they could get two times the amount of food, and it would last through the Sabbath so that they could actually take their day of rest. But generally, except for that Sabbath day, the food only lasted one day. So it was daily bread. And I thought about that, and it's like, boy, wouldn't that be a tough thing? But it's actually a good thing. We have to remember, these people are nomadic. They are traveling. So God's not saying, I'm going to give you a month's worth of food and you're going to have to carry it around for a month. He says, I'm going to give you what you need to eat today and then tomorrow I'll give you what you need for tomorrow. I've, I've used to do backpacking and I used to like the last day coming out because my backpack was lighter. All my food was gone. And so I was thinking about this. It's like, yeah. If only if they only had to carry a day's worth of food, it was lighter. This was actually a good thing for them. And everybody was able to collect exactly what their family needed. There was enough for everybody's family, whether they had a big family or a little family. Whoever was in your tent, you could get enough food for them. But they had to collect it. That is, they had to work to obtain it. It didn't appear in their refrigerators or on their ovens. They had to go out and get it. God gave them this gift of manna, daily bread. And we know God continues to give good gifts to His children, just as He takes care of animals, the birds, and the grass. You know, later on in Matthew, Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four, Jesus would tell His disciples this and the people. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body. What you will wear? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adored like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God, or Jesus here telling the people, it says, like, God knows we need physical things. God knows we need food. God knows we need clothes. God knows we need a place to live. God knows this stuff. God also knows that we need more than just these physical things to really live. He says, look, God makes sure that all the animals can eat. God makes sure plants get enough water and nutrients. And although some environmentalists might not like this, Jesus says, guess what? God thinks humans are more important than plants and animals. Birds aren't made in the image of God. Neither is grass. Neither are flowers. They're pretty. They're wonderful. I like going to the zoo. But it's not a human being. He says God's going to take care of us. Now, not worrying is not the same thing as doing nothing. Remember, the Israelites had to go out and get their manna every day. He says, don't worry about whether or not it's going to be there. Go out and get it. And Jesus would say one more thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He says, who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Remember, we started this off talking, and who are we praying to? Our Father. A parent. And, you know, unfortunately, we do see on the news that there are some bad parents out there in the world. I think in general, we can say people try to do their best to be good parents. But God is always the best parent. God's always the best parent. You now there's there's shows on TV, and you can even buy on Amazon. you Ever seen tiny houses? They're, bas- they're 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 basically well, there's all different ones, but some of them they fit just on a trailer. Not many square feet, and people live in these. I read an article a uh, uh, a young man he built himself a tiny house. And over five years, he he saved $100,000 by living in a tiny house. Sometimes we forget that what we need is not the same thing as what we want or what we've become accustomed to. Sometimes more isn't always better. I was just... Mentioning to Paul this morning, our house in California was smaller than the house we're living in now. We had a much easier time keeping our house in California clean. Maybe smaller was better. Now we just have more room for more stuff. You know, everybody has different priorities. Paul and I buy guitars. Other people aren't going to do that. You know, there's one person who can't give up cigarettes. Another person who can't give up their TV. You know, for me, I'd have a hard time giving up the Internet. And I'd have good reasons. Well, I can't get a, you know, if I needed a job, you need the Internet to get a job. Well, I could go to the library and find the Internet. You know, it was kind of funny. Well, sad, kind of funny. Um, in California, there was, I'd always see young people, they were, they show up and say, "Hey, check out my new tattoo I got," and then like the very next sentence would be, "I don't know how I'm going to pay my car insurance." I'm like, what? <laughs> how can you afford to get a tattoo that costs you seventy-five to one hundred fifty dollars, and now you don't have money for your car insurance? We all have our excuses. We all have things that we think we need. But God knows what we really need. A couple of things. One, the ability to work is one means that God has of giving us our daily bread. Paul, in writing to the church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he writes to them, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. This is in a situation where Paul showed up there and he wasn't having them support him. He was working as well by vocational pastor. And he says, you know what? You got some people here who aren't working that can work. So it's okay to have the rule. If you don't work, you don't eat in that particular case. Work has been, work is not part of the curse of humanity. It's part of being human. Back to Genesis chapter 2, 15 and 16. The Lord took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. Work and eat. So that is one means that God gives us to get our daily bread to work. And at the same time, there are so many verses. I could spend multitudes of sermon going through the verses that talks about how we are supposed to take care of widows and orphans and immigrants. And that's another means of providing daily bread. Some people can't work enough to get what they need. It's why we support first care. It's why we support Tubman. It's why we need to increase our partnership with Commission Community Cupboard. It's why Judy works with Stone Soup. We take care of each other in this church and and outside this church because not everybody can work enough to get their daily bread. James two, fourteen through seventeen puts it this way What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Prayer is always supposed to lead us to action. So when I pray for daily bread, it should lead me to work, and it should also lead me to give. Got a call just this week from First Care. I said, we have a lady here, she's all out of, she's pregnant, all out of food. I said, do you have a gift card? I said, I do. And not just say, oh, well, I'll pray for her. I had the gift card right in my desk. That's what they're for. It's for, there in my desk for anyone in here who needs food too. We pray like Jesus for daily bread. But there's more to it than that. See, daily God gives us access to his presence as well. Daily God gives us access to his presence. Now, I didn't find this in any commentary. I'm going to give credit where credit is due here. Several years ago, I was studying the Lord's Prayer with Zach and Zebulon Zimmer and we got to our daily bread and I said, what is the daily bread? And I was expecting one of them to say, manna. And Zebulon said with a question, the show bread. And I said, wait a minute, you're right. And I, again, checked all my commentaries this time, and it's not in there. I said, but you're right. The showbread is mentioned in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. God says, take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, and on the pure gold table before the Lord, place pure frankincense near each row. So that it may serve as memorial portion for the bread and a fire offering to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a permanent covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place. For it is the holiest portion for him from the fire offering to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. So my table here is pretty sad compared to what you'd see in the tabernacle. temple. One, their table would be gold. They'd have a big container of frankincense. I've got my little tiny oil here. Also, uh, the tradition of the rabbis tells us so even though the bread recipe was the same as the Passover bread and unleavened bread, they baked it in a particular way where it wasn't just flat bread. It was shaped either in a V-shape or in a box shape. So it would, had some dimension to it. So when they stacked it, it would be stacked high. Cause it had three dimensions to it. So, think of a, you know, big stack of bread. Even though it's just six loaves and six loaves. It was made once a week. But it sits in the presence of the Lord every day. And it's also when it was taken out of the presence of the Lord and the new was put up, it was ate in a holy place by holy people. Yet it also could be shared. David ate the showbread when he was in need. Matthew twenty-seven fifty through fifty-one. Jesus is on the cross. And it says, But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus, in his death on the cross, opens up the holy place where the bread sat before the presence of the Lord. See, we need to remember something. Jesus, yes, is absolutely the Passover lamb. He's also the Passover bread. One of the things that my daughters like to watch on TV is Sophia the First, the Disney show. And one of the things that, that Sophia the First has is a key. A key is a key that allows you to make a door whenever you need one. Now, several years ago, my oldest daughter, she made this little like window thing, you know, shrink thing, and and she gave it to me, and I just hung it on my nightstand on the knob for the drawer. It's just been sitting there. But Sophia the First, her necessity is about this size and about this color of this cross. And so Elizabeth came in my room one day and she sees this hanging on my nightstand. She says, necessity. And so she takes this around and she thinks she can open up any door. Doesn't even need the doorknob. This is now the necessity. And how right she is that the cross is the necessity. Jesus is the bread of life. He said this himself in John 6, 30 through 35. Jesus had fed the 5,000, the multitudes, and the crowds are following him around. Verse 30, he says, What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? The people ask him, show us the sign. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus goes back to the manna and talking to the people. They're they're wanting some food. And Jesus says, I've got something. Remember, God knows we need food, but he knows we need something else too. And Jesus says, I have what you need. We need to eat the bread of life daily. We don't have to be a priest like Aaron. We can just be a person like David and go into God's presence. That's what prayer is about. That's what meditating on the scriptures is about. That's what coming to church is about, getting into the presence of God. My father-in-law is uh, Roman Catholic. He goes to Mass every day. It's kind of cool. He wants to be in the presence of God. And the other thing we can do is give people the bread of life. We share Jesus with others. Remember, God is our Father, which means he wants to have children, which means people have to come into his house. So when we pray like Jesus for daily bread, we're praying for ourselves and others to be in the presence of God. You know, Jesus, in feeding the multitudes, he knew that what they loved was the food that he gave them. Thomas Aquinas wrote this, says, A wise lover doesn't value so much the gift as the giver. Maybe we need to think about that next time we pick out a gift for somebody else. Or we receive a gift from somebody else. But here's the cool thing. Jesus is both the giver and the gift. The manna and the showbread are gifted. Let's pray. Begin with Psalm 113. The psalmist giving praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and on earth. And listen to why he praises the Lord. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. So we praise the Lord. Lord, in that psalm we have... More than just you're providing the daily need. You give us more than just living on the brink of starvation. Living on the brink of dehydration. Living on the brink of salvation or destruction. You lift us up from the place of total desperation to the place of princes and kings, queens. Lord, just as we generally don't even worry about the air We breathe. It's just here in our lungs. If we're healthy, just do it by ourselves. Let us not be worried about these physical things because you care for us. But let us do the work, not just to provide our own needs, but to give Jesus to many. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our daily bread.